Are you excited about the football game this afternoon, tonight? How many, how many women are excited there's no more football until August? That's what I thought. That's what I was worried about. Yeah, there's, there's the Rays. The Rays are right around the corner. Hockey. All right, all right. It's a very spiritual crowd. That's very true. We, we are excited that you're here. We're glad you're here. If you're a first-time guest, uh, we're doing 52 major stories of the Bible this year. And I started uh, the year with uh, David and Goliath, and then we're going to talk about Abraham again today. Just part, kind of a part two on Abraham. Um, last week, I started off, I was telling you about trust and how you know, I trust my boat mechanic. I really trust my car mechanic. I trust our neighbors. And then I mentioned Lance Armstrong, and everybody kind of went, uh, in the room. So let me, let's try it again. Lance Armstrong. And so, you know, I thought, we, you probably wouldn't even buy a used car right now from Lance Armstrong, right? And, and so we, we, we talked last week about trust, and, and I asked, I said, how many of us in the room believe that God can be trusted? And about 98% of us raised our hands. So we're pretty collectively in agreement that God can be trusted. There's probably 2% of you in the room that are not sure that God can be trusted, and maybe your mom died at an early age, or you went through a divorce, or there was bankruptcy or something. So you're just not feeling great about God because God had the ability and he didn't help you. So it's probably 2%. But 98% of us in the room are pretty sure that God can be trusted. Well, today, I want to turn that around and, and ask about you. Can God trust you? And so when you start to think about that, you begin to think about categories. And so you start to categorize your life. Well, I know that God can be trusted, but can God trust me? And so we begin to categorize, well, maybe God can trust me with this. And you know what? Well, yeah, he can trust me with this. I'm not sure about this. No, he's, I'm not there yet with this. But, but God can trust me here, 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 and here. Well, I want to tell you that you have all entered the school of faith. Everybody in this room, no matter what your age is, you have entered the school of faith. Abraham entered that school of faith when he was 75 years old. And what God was trying to do with Abraham was to get Abraham to trust him. So at age 75, God shows up in Abraham's life and basically says, you're going to have a great nation. Through your seed and your wife's seed, I'm going to have this incredible nation, and your, your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the ground. And Abraham's going, what? I'm 75. Sarah's about 65. We haven't been able to get pregnant yet. What do you mean I'm going to have this great nation? So at age 75, he entered the school of faith. It took him 24 years to pass the test. You see, I'm convinced that we don't fail God's classes. We just get a lot of do-overs. You and I have had to take the same test over. We don't fail the class. We just retake the test. And so you also, every man, every woman in this room, no matter your age, you have entered the school of faith. And what God is trying to get you to a point of is where God can say, I put my trust in her. I put my trust in him. It was about 15 years ago. I was in Memphis, and I was driving somewhere, and I'm listening to this old black gospel preacher. 
And you know how the black gospel preachers can preach in a certain way and they can say things in a certain way with a certain verado that us white guys would look really silly trying to do, right? And he's preaching about faith and trust and he was going on and going on. I could just see the man slinging sweat on the first three pews of his church, even though I was listening to it on the radio. And he was beginning to talk about God can be trusted. God can be trusted. God can be trusted. But can God trust you? And I thought, that's a defining moment. You all in the room, 98% of you agree that God can be trusted. But let me ask you a question. Can God trust you? See, you've entered the school of faith. But are you trustworthy with the stewardship of faith that God has given unto you? Are you trustworthy? So Abraham at 75, he enters into the school of faith. And at 86, he and Hagar, he and his wife Sarah take things into their own hands. He sleeps with a handmaid, Hagar. And for 13 years, God doesn't talk to him. 13 years. There's 13 years of silence. And finally, at age 99, God appears to Abraham again and says to him, you're going to have a, a son from your own wife, from your seed, and from her seed, and it's going to be a great nation going to come through this. And at age 99, Abraham began to develop a first-hand faith. Now, that's where we're going this morning. Because what God wants in this room is he doesn't want second-hand faith. He doesn't want third-hand faith. God wants you to be able to say, I know that I know that I know that God spoke to me. I know that I know that I know that God touched me. I know that I know that I know that God has this assignment for my life. Everybody in the room is in the school of faith. And maybe we got second-hand faith. Maybe we went to church with grandma and grandpa. Maybe parents didn't go, but we went with grandma and grandpa. And we learned about grandma and grandpa's faith. And around the kitchen table, we'd hear grandpa pray, and we'd see grandma and grandpa reading their Bibles. There's nothing wrong with that. That's wonderful. But that's secondhand faith. Our children, our children of this church for a certain age group, for a certain level, for a certain size, they have secondhand faith. There's nothing wrong with that. You want them to have your faith. You want them to experience your faith. You want to have faith conversations with your kids and with your grandkids. But at some point, it's got to transfer from secondhand faith, from mom and dad's faith, it's got to transfer to their own faith. And so in this story, this is not a story about Abraham. This is not even a story about Isaac. Today in Genesis chapter 22, this is a story about you and how God desires for you to experience firsthand faith. Because when you experience firsthand faith, you can do things that don't make sense. You can do things that nobody can rationalize. When you have a firsthand faith, you can literally walk on, well, maybe not literally, but you're coming close to walking on water with the Lord Jesus Christ. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. And I don't want you to think about a story about Abraham. I want you to think about your story. As you begin to read through these verses of Scripture with me today, I want you to begin to ask yourself, do I have firsthand faith? Have there been times in my life where God has spoken to me or directed me? Or, or maybe it's all secondhand faith. And some of you in the room, you have thirdhand faith. You've just kind of heard it from somebody else. And there's nothing wrong with that. We're so glad you're in the room. Thirdhand faith is better than no faith. Secondhand faith is better than thirdhand faith. But the objective 
is for you to walk with God. Abraham walked with God, and he was a friend of God. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 22, and we'll start with verse 1. Ready? Here we go. 22, verse 1. Sometime later, now this sometime later, Abraham's now about 110 years old. God came to him at age 75 and began to, he entered the school of faith. He passed finally the school of faith about age 99. He's going to take another test though today. Sometime later, God tested Abraham and he said to him, Abraham, now this is always cool because God's always the one coming to you. God's always the one coming to you and asking for your faith to grow. God will knock on your door, knock on your heart, knock on your mind, knock on your will, knock on your emotions. God's going to keep coming to you, coming to you, coming to you and saying to you, I want you to grow. I want you to experience me. So you're not always coming to God. God is coming to you. And you know what I'm talking about. You know those times in your life when God's knocked on your door and you've said no. You didn't pass the test, but you didn't fail the class. You get to take the test over again. And the, the do-over is you're gonna keep, God's going to keep coming to you. He's going to keep knocking on your door until you pass the test. So God's coming to him. Here I am, he replied. Look at verse 2. Well, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, Isaac's about 10, maybe 11 years old, and go to, to the region of Moriah. Moriah is a mountain. It's 50 miles from where he is. I want you to sacrifice. What? I want you to sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, Mount Moriah, that I will show you. Now, everything within us screams, huh? What? Why? God, this doesn't make any sense. Those people outside of the church read this verse of Scripture and they say, uh-huh, see, I told you. I'm not following that kind of a God. What kind of a God would... How many of you got sons in the room? How many of you got sons in the room? You'd like to kill them, okay, occasionally, right? But you would never do it, right? You'd like to strangle them, or, but you, that's a fleeting thought. Okay, Father, forgive me. Okay. <clears throat> and so those outside the church are going, this doesn't make any sense. See, that's what's wrong with the church. Those of us in the, inside the church, I've heard some really bad sermons on this. This is not a sermon based on you got to give everything up. This is not a sermon that you got to have a poverty mentality. Those are all the wrong applications to this. Now, the worst story I ever heard about this was a youth pastor that worked with me for 13 years in Memphis. And his father came in the shower with a knife and his father came in the shower reading this passage of scripture and was so committed to God he said he was willing to take his own son's life and he came in the shower to kill my youth pastor and fortunately uh, the wife his mother intervened at just the right time and saved Scott's life now do you think that would mess you up your dad coming in the shower trying to knife you it really messed him up. And the father was, you know, committed and, and very, very delusional for years. So here he is. This is not what this is about. Something else is going on here. Look at verse 3. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and he loaded the donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he sat down at the place that God had told him about. Now, this is absolutely amazing. Because Abraham has so much faith in God, he's already been to the school of faith. He's already failed some of those tests. He is retaking some of those tests now, and he's going to do it. Verse 4, on the third day, it's a three-day journey, 
What would you be thinking, fathers, those three days that you're loading the mules and you're carrying the wood and the fire and you're going, what would be going through your mind? Three days. And the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance, verse 5. And he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. Now, Now look at the next verse. This gives you a hint into what Abraham was thinking. I'm sorry, not the next verse, but the the last line. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. What is Abraham thinking? What does that mean? He says, we will worship. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. This is what's going on through Abraham's mind. Abraham knows that God can do anything. And in Abraham's mind, he is convinced that God is going to raise his son from the dead. He is convinced that if God can help him to help his wife to conceive at an old age, that God can do anything. Now, how do I know that? Just stay right there in the book of Genesis, and I'm going to show you some verses out of Hebrews chapter 11. Because Hebrews chapter 11 confirms verse 5. Hebrews chapter 11 says this, By faith, Abraham, that's that whole hall of fame list in Hebrews chapter 11 about the faithful people. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. And he who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Verse 18, even though God said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Verse 19, Abraham reasoned. This is what Abraham's thinking. For three days, he's, what's he thinking? The author of Hebrews tells us what he's thinking. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. So what's going on in Genesis chapter 22? Abraham's taking the wood, the fire. He's going to go sacrifice his son. He realizes that if he offers Isaac as a burnt offering, if he kills him, puts him on the altar, God will raise him from the dead. This is a story, not so much even about sacrifice, as a story of, do you trust me? Will you put all your trust in me? And Abraham was like, yes. God, if you told me to do something, I believe that you can do it. I believe you can do anything. And so what's going through Abraham's mind is that even if he kills his own son, God has the power to raise him from the dead. There's a lot of parallels in this story between Isaac and Abraham and Jesus Christ and God the Father. That's a whole other sermon for another day, okay? But Genesis chapter 22, let's go back. Genesis chapter 22 and look at verse, uh, where are we? Six, verse six. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, placed it on his son Isaac, and he carried, he himself carried the fire and the knife as the two of them went together. Verse 7, Isaac spoke up and he said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb? That's a good question, isn't it? In fact, that's the right question at this point, isn't it? Where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Now, we talk about Abraham's faith, but this is an 11-year-old boy, and he's about 110, 111 years old. Do you think this little boy could outrun his dad? You bet he could. You bet he could. I think that there's a story here about Isaac's young faith. And Isaac's already been around the kitchen table with Sarah and Abraham. And Isaac's heard stories now for 10 or 11 years about this great, great God. 
one of the most wonderful things you can do for your kids and for your grandkids is to tell God stories. To tell these firsthand faith God stories around the kitchen table, around the dining room table, you tell stories. Wouldn't it be tragic for God to have worked in such a great way in your life, grandmas and grandpas and, and moms and dads and aunts and uncles in this room, and for you not to tell your grandkids these spiritual stories? And you tell these stories around the kitchen table, and they grow up. I think Isaac, for 10 or 11 years, had heard these amazing firsthand faith experience stories. And so he's willing then to even lay down his life. Look at verse 8. Abraham answered, Well, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Verse 9. When they reached the place that God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. You know, sometimes we use this as an altar, by the way, folks. Sometimes I like the front of the church just to be an altar. You know what an altar means? An altar means it's just a place where you meet God. That's all, that's all an altar is. An altar is a place where you go to, to meet God. Sometimes we use the front up here as an altar. You can use your hall closet as an altar. You can use any part of your home as an altar. You can go to Philippi Park and have a certain place there. An altar is a place where you go to connect with God. He, he built an altar there. Uh, and he arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand, and he took the knife to slay his son. What's Abraham thinking? If I kill him, God's going to raise him from the dead. Because God promised that through Isaac, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Not through some other boy, not through a later child. God promised through Isaac. At this point, Abraham is beginning to learn that when God says something, it may take 24 years, it may take 35, it's 35 years now, He's been in the school of faith, and he's learned. He's learned. Whatever God says, it can be trusted. Have you learned that yet? That's the question this morning. Have you learned that everything, every promise, everything God has said to you will come to pass? He reached out his hand and took the knife to slay the son, verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he said. And in verse 12, do not lay a hand on the boy, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld from me your son, your only son. And that's kind of a confusing verse too. And we ask ourselves a question, well, did God not know? I mean, was this, was this test for God? No, this test wasn't for God. This test was for Abraham. This test was that Abraham would, again, pass the test. When God gives you tests, do you think that God doesn't know if you're going to pass it or fail it? It's kind of like a chemistry professor. A chemistry professor has done this experiment, experiment for 30 years. He's done it hundreds of times. And so the chemistry professor goes in the classroom and he says, you know what, if we add this acid to this base and we put a little heat in this, underneath this Bunsen burner, I wonder what will happen. Class, let's discover together what will happen. Does the professor know what's going to happen? Of course he does. He's done the experiment a thousand times. And so God is allowing Abraham to discover his faith. You know, when you and I take a test and we do well on the test, we feel good about ourselves, don't we? And so here's a test that Abraham now knows that God has chosen him to be the ruler and the father of many, many nations. Verse 13, Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. 
He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering to his son. And so Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide. And on this day it is said, the mountain of the Lord, it was provided. All right, for just a couple minutes here, I want to talk about some provisions of God. And I just want to review, if you're brand new today, you'll get the first four or five weeks here all at once. We've talked about several different Hebrew words, and I'm going to teach you a new Hebrew word today. But I just want to review, and it's written for you in the bulletin if you want to write these in, because by the end of the year, there will be a test. And you will get your membership revoked if you do not learn all No, you won't. No, you won't. But we're going to have a test. But I want, to, I want to teach you these words. The very first word that we worked on was Jehovah Sabbath. And Jehovah Sabbath went even with the song this morning from Chris Tomlin's song that we sang there at the very end. And Jehovah Sabbath was the, the Sunday that we talked about David and Goliath, how we all have giants. Everybody has a giant. And God promises that he will fight for you and he will fight with you. And Jehovah Sabbath means he is the commander of the Lord's armies. That's what this means. So your giant this year, moral, ethical, health, vocational, relational, whatever your giant is, Jehovah Sabbath will fight for you and will fight with you. He is the commander of the Lord's armies. Then we did the week of creation. We talked about Elohim and over 2,000 different times. Elohim means creator. And God refers to himself as Elohim. Now, these are, these are not different gods. This is all the same God, but God's just chosen to reveal himself. So when you see in the Old Testament the word Lord or the word God, it's one of these Old Testament Hebrew words. And then we talked about uh, last Sunday, El Shaddai. And El Shaddai, God refers to him as El Shaddai, which means our sufficiency. God is our sufficiency. He has unlimited power, unlimited resources. And we talked about the favor of God last week. And we talked about the blessings of God last week. God wants to pour favor and blessings on you, El Shaddai. Now today, today's about provisions. These are the provisions of God. And this little word today is Jehovah Jireh. And Jehovah Jireh means the Lord will provide. And that's what Abraham realized. Abraham realized the Lord will provide. Now, I also like the second definition to it. And I just wrote that for you in your bulletin. And that is the Lord will see to it. I think, that is, I think both of these are great phrases for you and I to wrap around our minds. The Lord will see to it. So say with me, Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. Okay, have you got these four Hebrew words or close? No, not yet? All right, we're working on them. There will be a test. You cannot come to church next week. That'll be the first thing the greeters ask you as you come in. <laughs> let's talk about the provisions of God for a couple minutes. Where, where, let's, let's, let's ask a couple questions. I wanna, okay. Where does God provide for our need? I think that's a really good question we need to ask ourselves. Where, where does God provide for our needs? Here's the answer. It's in our place of assignment. You see, with all these blessings from God, there's always a purpose linked to the blessings of God. So, so where does God provide for our needs? Everybody in the room has places of assignment. Grandparents, parents, coaches, teachers. We have places of assignment with our unchurched neighbors, family members, and friends. We have places of assignment within the church. Maybe we're small group leaders. Everybody has a place of assignment. 
Because when God gives you his favor, and by the way, every Christian has his favor. It's called unlimited favor, unmerited favor. That's God's grace. But the reason that you have these assignments is because God wants you in certain places with certain people making a difference. So, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Well, he's called me to teach third graders. Will he provide me the strength and skill to teach third graders? He's called me to this particular vocation, this particular job. Will he provide me the strength and the courage it takes to provide for this job? The answer is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Now, that's firsthand faith. When you realize that God has given you an assignment and you're over here, poor pitiful me, I don't think I can do it. I know God called me to do it. I know he created the world in six days, but I'm not sure he can give me the skill and the ability to fulfill that assignment. That's chicken faith. That's weak faith, okay? That's second or third hand faith. First hand faith is, I don't know how it's gonna happen, but I'm gonna climb Mount Moriah. I'm taking the wood and the fire, and I'm gonna lay the wood and the fire on my son, but I believe that God can raise the dead. That's first hand faith. So where does Jehovah Jireh apply in your life? Always in your place of assignment. We have, a, we have a mother at our church that actually has four babies, quadruplets, is that what you call it? Quads? And they're all four years old. They're all four years old. Now, do you think she has Jehovah Jireh working for her? She has four. Four four-year-olds. I'd be praying that prayer, my Lord, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's the prayer I'd be praying. You've got a place of assignment. He's called you to do this, to be this. In your place of assignment, you call out to Jehovah Jireh, and the Lord, he will see to it. All right, the next question, when? When when does he meet our needs? When does he do this? This is really simple, folks. Look at the next answer. In our time of need. When does God meet our needs? In our time of need. How do I know that? Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us when? In our time of need. That's when God helps us. All right, next question. How? How does God provide for us? I think this is real simple also. The answer is in natural and supernatural ways. In, In this story, even with Abraham, you know, there was a ram caught in a thicket. There wasn't like a whole flock of sheep caught somewhere. He didn't need a whole flock. He just, he, just, he just needed one. In our time of need, do I think God does things supernaturally? I do. I do think God works supernaturally. But I think more oftentimes, God just seems to work through some natural means, natural and supernatural. All right, the next question, to whom? To whom does God give his provisions? Well, I think this is a real easy answer. Go ahead. To those who trust and obey. You see, God wants you to have more blessings, more blessings. God wants you to have more whatever it is in your life for the places of assignment that are tied to your purposes, that are tied back to your favor and to your blessings. And so when you trust and obey and you get that firsthand faith, guess what? I think he puts more on you and more in you and more around you and more assignment. Your territory expands. Now, you're in the school of faith. Every man, every woman in this room is in the school of faith. And and the challenge, the challenge is then for us is to realize 
When God tells me to go, I, I should trust that he, he can get me there. If God tells me to do something, that God has the ability to help me to be able to pull this off. To whom does God provide? To those who trust and obey. Now, why? Why does God do this? Why does God provide for our every need? I, I like this answer the best. Let's do this answer. Because God is always for us. He's always for you. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish and would have everlasting life. Now, you see, the bigger application today is, yes, he will provide for your needs, and yes, he will see you through it. But the bigger application today is God wants you to develop your own firsthand faith. I I could tell you a lot of stories this morning where I kind of ignored God. I thought maybe God was calling me to do something or to be something. I could tell you a bunch of those stories today. But I don't don't know if that really helps you because I think we all have those. You know, we kind of pretend that that's God's voice, but maybe that was Taco Bell last night. Maybe that wasn't God. You know, maybe that's something else rumbling inside here, you know. Uh, I went out fishing yesterday, and a friend of mine threw up for two and a half hours. He'll never go fishing with me again. In fact, I'm not even sure we're still friends after yesterday, you know. But when, when is God's, you know, you know when God's speaking to you. You know. I think my first first-hand faith experience was when I was 14 years old. A Speedway, Indiana police officer invited my dad to a campus crusade for Christ Bible study, and they went. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe my my, my dad was going to go to a neighborhood Bible study. Are you kidding me? About six months later, we're looking for a local church, and the preacher's inside of our house, and I've just been playing basketball. I'm 14 years old, been playing hoops, sweating, and I'm walking through, and I hear the preacher, you know, mention about heaven and hell. And I just sat down because I thought, this is going to be good. My dad's going to tell him to go to hell real soon. And, and, our, and our, this is going to be fun. I just sat down waiting for it to happen. And it didn't happen. My dad got real humble. And they turned to me and they said, this is a Tuesday night. What about you? Do you want to give your life to Christ? I said, are you kidding? And I'm thinking I got to clean up my act first. That's what everybody thinks. That doesn't work. You don't clean up your act. You come to Christ, he cleans up your act. So all week long, I knew God was knocking, 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 knocking. Nobody, my mom, dad, nobody's preacher, nobody expected me to walk the aisle with my dad. And that, that day, I walked the aisle with my dad. I knew that God was tugging on my heart. I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. My dad and I became Christians the same day. We got baptized the same morning. I'm 18 years old. I'm going to Purdue University. I'm signed up for radio and television. I'm going to be the next Joe Buck, the next Bob Costa. I'm going to do Monday night football. I'm going to be at the Super Bowl today announcing the game. That was my goal. That was my dream. It was a Sunday night church, and God tugged on my heart. Preacher said, does anybody want to, same preacher's in my living room, by the way, said, does anybody want to enter into full-time Christian service? I don't know how I got down the aisle. I don't know how I got down there. My back was bowed. I was pushed down the aisle. Nobody in my family's in the ministry. Are you kidding? They're all General Motors people. They're all engineers. Nobody's in the ministry. Tanita and I are married. We're in, we're in graduate school, and 
I'm on the PhD track. I want to become a professor. It's a five-year program. The first part of the program is a three-year program, a Master's of Divinity. I'm a year and a half into the Master's of Divinity, and I told Anita, I don't think God wants me to be a professor. In fact, I'm really sure he wants me to be a preacher. And see, Danita really didn't want to be in the ministry. She'd grown up in the ministry, and they moved every three and four years, and it was a very, very hard lifestyle. And it was like, are you kidding me? I thought you were going to be a professor. But she handled it well, and she's sitting right there, and she's grinning at me in the moment. And we're still married after 28 years. How about that? Those are, yeah. The, the firsthand experiences... I want to tell you another little story that we were just married and we were poor as church mice. You ever heard that expression before? You see, the mice at restaurants are fat. They're big. But the mice at church, there's not much food left over after a potluck dinner. And the mice are pretty, pretty anorexic at, at church dinners. And there we are. And uh, I heard God, we're at a little banquet. We'd always been tithers. She grew up tithing. I grew up tithing. We'd always been tithers in the church. But this was a kind of a banquet for kind of like New Life Solutions, kind of like the other Pregnancy Crisis Center, something like that in, in, in Memphis, even before that, just when we first gotten married. And I heard God tell an amount that I was supposed to give. We weren't supposed to give anything. We were the guests. People brought us there that night. I heard God's voice tell me specifically how much to give. And I want to tell you this story. I didn't receive any big checks in the mail the next week or the next month. And, you know, I didn't hang out at the Porsche dealership, you know, and somebody said, oh, there's Kurt. Would you like one? I mean, nothing like that happened. So, so I tell you that story because I don't know that every time we do something like that, when we hear God's voice, that we always see in neon signs some great big tangible experience like that. I'm just telling you, God told us to do it. I wrote the check. I had a check in my wallet. I wrote the check, showed Danita. She said, okay. And that's firsthand faith. You see, I've entered into that school of firsthand faith. And you are in that school of firsthand faith. It's really how we even got here. We were in Memphis for 16 years, and how we even got here to this church was a series of firsthand faith experience stories where we had to say yes to God. Now, that's where you are. That's exactly where God's got you in your life. It's not your circumstances. It's your firsthand experiences with your Heavenly Father. And what God wants from you and what God wants for you is for you to be able to experience the supernatural life that God has in store for you. And so in your place of assignment, God will provide for you. Jehovah Jireh will provide for you. He will provide for you all the courage, all the loyalty, all the hope, all the patience, all the money, all the resources. In your places of assignment, Jehovah Jireh will provide for you a way in, a way out. He will provide for you a new job, a better job, a better attitude. The Lord God Almighty is Jehovah. Jehovah is his name. And so the goal today is not how we can get more resources. The goal today is how can I trust my Heavenly Father in my places of assignment? And so we're going to sing a song uh, this morning. It's just, just an incredibly beautiful song that's based on Genesis chapter 22. You've probably heard this song. You've probably sang it before. But it's talking about, I will climb this mountain with my hands wide open. And this is the story of Abraham 
climbing Mount Moriah. It's yours, God. I'm yours, God. I trust you, God. Now, God, you can put your trust in me. So I want us to stand at this time. I want us to worship at this time. I want us to sing this song. Now, where in my life do I need to lay it down? Do I need to give it to him? And in my life, God promises to make something so beautiful out of me. Will you worship the Lord right now?